0: I'm Sarah Ruffai, the Woman Warrior Lawyer, and today my guest is Dan Jolene. Dan, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you.
1: Dan Jolene, live here in Marathon County uh, with my wife, retired, um, proud parent, dad, grandparent, and even a great-grandparent. So we have three great-grandchildren that... And you're still only
0: 40 That's impressive. (laughs) I wish. I really wish, Sarah. We both know that's not the case. Right. Well, you said you're retired, but that's Mm -hmm. really not the case, is it?
1: Well, no, not really. And, uh, yeah, no, I I went on, became licensed as a private detective after my uh, law enforcement career. Private detective here in Wisconsin. I've been doing that ever since. And God's been good to me. That's... A lot, of, a lot of cases out there to work.
0: That's for sure. Some very interesting ones, too, I know. Yes, there are some. Yes, there is. So when you were little, what did you want to do? What did you want to be when you grew up? Did you <laughs> want to be a, a private detective?
1: No. Did I, you want to be a cop? Never. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to remember, and oftentimes, and I've worked, 28 years I worked the road, so I had a lot of 11 to 7s to think about this. And if I recall right, where the law enforcement came in is when I, as a high school senior, I joined the Wisconsin Army National Guard. Went to basic and AIT and then came back. And a friend of mine just down the street said to me, hey, what, what are your plans? You know, And at that time I had no plans. Born and raised in Wisconsin Rapids area, normally most people went, and worked in the paper mill. I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, nothing wrong with those there, but I, I just knew that was not for me. And he says, hey, that Wood County at the time was looking for uh, deputy sheriffs. So I thought, yeah, let's, let's give that a try. So I went and wrote the test, passed it, went in front of the oral boards, apparently did good, passed that. And then I got called in and told that I was too short.
0: <laughs> and the Take it you weren't aware that there was a height limit or a height restriction. Well, there
1: was, and I thought that I made that, but apparently a half an inch was not good enough, and <laughs> I thought that really did it because immediately I had seen enough law enforcement officers. You don't see a lot of them anymore by virtue of the fact you've just got to survive. And to be big and fat and overweight... You're just asking for trouble. So uh, that was the challenge. And I was fortunate, again, fortunate when I was born in that right about the mid-70s as they came out with the height and weight had to be proportionate like the military did. Um, as long as you were proportionate, you might have been restricted for uh, some equipment operators uh, if you weren't you know, tall enough. But again, proportionate in size and weight. And that started, if I recall right, the Wisconsin State Patrol. And uh, they were allowing more minorities and, and ladies uh, in. And uh, that just opened it up. And then it pretty soon was really wasn't an issue. If you were proportionate in size and weight, could pass a physical and do the job. And away we went. So then I started applying, 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 applying. And finally got accepted uh, a department and uh, started two years part time, and then went to this other department. Worked twenty eight years, and then came up here to Marathon County to uh, start the Crunawetter Police Department.
0: So, you were also in the military, though, right? Or
1: were you in the correct, reserves? Correct, correct. I that was you know, and, and as I said, because of Garden the Guard in Reserve, I was able to run those two careers simultaneously. The first half of my career was pretty much Wisconsin Army National Guard. And then the second half was the United States Army Reserve. People oftentimes get them confused. Of course, the National Guard is a state organization in peacetime, primarily funded and commanded by the governor of the state of Wisconsin, where the Army Reserve is just that, the reserve portion of the United States Army. And uh, great times. I said, again, I was extremely fortunate. Missed Vietnam in the front of my career. And by the time I got ready to retire, um, I missed uh, having to go uh, into the Middle East. So my only time overseas was in 1986. The State Guard, the 32nd Brigade, was activated um, for an extended annual training period. And we were sent to Germany on one of the last reforger exercises.
0: Um, And one of the last what exercises?
1: REFORGER. And that acronym stood for Return of Forces to Germany. That was an agreement made way back, I believe, uh, uh, General Eisenhower had something to do with that. And we would, it was part of, and what I was primarily a Cold War veteran is we trained and trained and trained to go activate and go to Europe to save all those folks from the Russian onslaught across the Rhine and um, all of our training. And that's why Fort McCoy, uh, I think, became so pivotal was because it very much replicated a European scenario, the terrain, the land. So there was just hours and hours spent out there in the field and trained, like I said, got a chance to go to Germany. The thing I remember about that, it it was so wet that we couldn't really maneuver like we wanted to, and the German authorities allowed us to run. We were, the 32nd Brigade at the time was a heavy mechanized infantry division, or brigade, and we were all tracks. Uh, I was in an artillery unit, uh, armor, you know, which was Wassa area here, um, and so we maneuvered with tracks. And had we not stopped, <laughs> we'd still be paying for maneuver damage for land we tore up, and it was it was wet. I can understand going back if that weather conditions existed in Germany during World War II. I can understand where a lot of guys got trench foot because it was just, we had the equipment in 86, but our soldiers and Marines didn't, you know, back then. And I can see where trench foot and getting wet and your equipment not being able to dry out.
0: Everything's all wet and nasty and doesn't work right.
1: Right. And then we had to clean everything up, and you know, get it,
0: make it all pretty, but
1: get it all cleaned, and, and then hope and pray to God. Of course, as soon as we got it back here in the states, got out of the connex and like our tents and everything, we opened up and to keep them from going. And they have a treatment on to keep them from mildewing. Um, but this is again is for the most part, you know, Korea Vietnam era equipment that I used. Um, so yeah, it was that was an experience was a great time. I'm glad I did it, but I was glad to get
0: because I out was a too.
1: battery commander at the time. And so everything that could possibly go wrong seemed to go wrong. Um but we got we got everybody back and it was interesting to me years later as we heard that they were estimating up to twelve or fourteen deaths across the brigade. And our brigade was anywhere probably thirty five to five thousand men and women. The good thing was that being a basic Wisconsin unit, our guys and gals were, you know, very much used to. Is there black ice over there? You bet. And it would do. It would get warm, and the water would literally be running down these quaint little nice roads out of the hills, Looking and so then the lonely. temperature dropped. Boom, and we slid. Uh, I think we slid a track off a road. You know, slid on its side, and they got the recovery unit out there and pulled it back up, but. We didn't, uh, I don't believe we lost anybody
0: while we were there. And the, the estimates were, the losses yeah. were based upon hitting right. black ice Just unexpectedly. And
1: black, right. It wasn't that we were in combat and I don't even recall. I don't know that our gun, I'm in fact, I'm positive our guns. If we did shoot, we would have had to have shot on a military reservation like Grafenbeer, um, we didn't shoot. It was just basically a maneuver exercise and uh, map-driven. And what they did is they shut all the line units down, and then they continued to move the headquarters and continue to go through this wartime scenario um, until a completion. Then we pulled everybody back to Graf and Viren, started cleaning equipment. Muddy? Oh, man, it was.
0: Get the mud out before it goes on to Nothing. come back home, huh?
1: Well, and that was it. We'd, we'd clean units pressure units through the night and then the custom officials which were normally military policemen would come in the morning and we'd drive these tracks back up across these inspection ramps and they they would reach and they knew what they were looking for they'd reach up and they'd go nope back around and they'd find mud packed and guys didn't get the mud that was up in the the final drives and have to go back around the line start pressure washing them again and it was uh it was a real experience but didn't lose any human beings. My unit didn't.
0: That's always a, that's, those are victories, right? That,
1: that was a victory. Yes, it was. If I, I just dreaded the idea of having to write, you know, a letter back home to some parent.
0: That would break my heart.
1: Oh, man, yeah. I was fortunate.
0: So what made you decide to switch from the National Guard to the Reserves?
1: Promotion. Um the State National Guard, as you might assume, has X amount of people. There's an adjutant general at the top, and the, the, the rank pyramid tightens very quickly. There's only so many units, so many slots. And at the time, I was a captain on what they call a declination. You can decline a promotion. The ROPA Act, I believe, of 1967, which stands for the Reserve Officers Personnel Act, said basically you in so many years at certain grade you needed to go up or you were heading out and
0: even it, though there's a limited number at the top
1: yes so that right. was their their
0: way up out
1: clean house you bet and it forced you to have to go and uh, get properly educated i'm talking both military um as an officer at that time my god only knows what they do now but I had to do, once I got commissioned, I had to do an officer basic course at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, because artillery, that's where you, that's the school. That's the training. My officer advanced course was done at Fort Sill. Um, That was six months. That was another great time. Took the family down there. I don't think that'll ever happen again. Then there was a a school called Cube, but because of my uh, data rank, I was able to go straight to Command and General Staff College and then if i had wanted a star i was going to have to complete war college and uh, tried but i was still a uh, uh, law enforcement officer and there was a two year everybody called it the the two year correspondence program was a right for your life um is it was uh, they often referred to it as drinking out of a fire hose um, they would just inundate you with reading and writing and I had talked to other guys that were had attorneys that I had served with and uh was
0: law school easier they
1: said "Uh, I don't know yeah if you made it through law school God only knows the demands there but these guys said they would work two hours every morning one guy got up at four o'clock in the morning worked till six o'clock and then get himself ready to go to school but every day of his life for that two years to complete the school, and I knew as a shift working police officer, there was no way I was going to do that, and so I wanted to get a um, what they call residency seat. I wasn't I wasn't connected enough, and I tried. You know, I applied, and finally I decided. Then after a the time, my career or my time as a commission officer was coming real close to my end date, and so I just. Decided it was time to retire. It was a good time. It was, I had a good time. Saw, served with a lot of great people. Many of, well, I shouldn't say many. Uh, some that I'm still really good friends
0: Lifetime with friendships.
1: Yeah. Lifetime friendships. Yes. One of, the first one was when, because I, I started enlisted is a basic training. The guy that was a platoon guide and I was one of his squad leaders. Still talk to him. To this day, in fact, just sent him an email a while ago. It's something we were interested in. And yeah, it's uh, always, you know, until the day we die, I think we'll remember each other. You
0: know. oh, and who knows, even after then, there you, you go. never know what happens, Amen. right?
1: Amen. Yep.
0: So, what prompted you then? So, you were an officer. Mm-hmm. What prompted you to join the reserves to do the, the dual? well at you
1: know, police officer yeah I had to from the guard I went over there there was a slot opening at an 04 which is major uh, I was a captain on declination and I applied for that and got it um it was really interesting because we we're all the same we wore the same uniforms and everything in fact if you many times unless you know patches you see an army reservist or an army guardsman or even an active duty soldier standing next to each other, uh, you wouldn't know. And nowadays, especially with so many of our reserve and guardsmen have served overseas, you know, they're wearing overseas patches, and uh, you would one would logically think they're active duty. But it was a little bit of a change going from the guard to the reserve side of the house, but I had a chance then to be assigned full-time with a unit. It was a stand-up unit called the uh, Training Exercise Detachment, part of the 85th Division, used to be during World War II, 85th Infantry Division, and uh, got got to go over there, and they had a uh, part of the organization was a field artillery team, and they needed a uh, fire support evaluator. And so that was the job I, I got. And then shortly after getting there, um, I had a chance to go to Command and General Staff College, got promoted to major, Got a chance to go to Command General Staff College at Leavenworth. Um, and when I got back, the uh, colonel said, well, you get back, we'll give you command of the team, the field artillery team, and that was an 05 billet, which is a lieutenant colonel. And I got that and then came in the window of promotion and was able to get promoted to 05. And uh, toward the end of my career, They merged what used to be known as the Readiness Group at Fort McCoy, and almost all installations, especially those that trained Guard and Reserve units, had an active duty army. They called it the Readiness Group. And they merged them anyway here at McCoy and made this part of the Field Exercise Brigade. My job then became an active duty billet, and so they offered me a position down where I applied for a position in um, Arlington Heights Illinois at the 85th Division headquarters then and uh, went down there and finished my time and promoted to colonel and
0: So your promotions in the military did they happen to coincide with your promotions as a police officer was there any type of correlation you know, between the two
1: Interesting that you ask that because over time when I stop and think about it is whenever my life was kind of Hitting some hard spots on my civilian career, my military was going good. And likewise, if things kind of got in the trenches in the military, my civilian career was going good. And so I think that kind of balanced me out and kept me going. But you know, I got to thank my wife. We we had four children; they were all just little tykes, and she stayed the course. She's mentioned it a couple of times that stayed the course through the. through the water in fact i think uh, when we went to germany the water heater failed and uh, i can't remember how we got that fixed because i normally always i'm a i i gotta fix it you know that's what we oh, do oh
0: you're a control freak yeah kind of yeah kind of yeah, yeah
1: and no i think you can better say <laughs> i'm cheap
0: that's, that too yeah. i think they kind of go hand in hand <laughs>
1: Very good. But she was there, took care of it, like I said. And then uh, uh, we loaded up the whole family because I didn't want her. And um, when I went through my officer advance course, it was a what they called a PCS move, permanent change of station. So the government paid for me to rent the truck, and I probably could have had them do it, which I probably should have. But I rented a truck, and we loaded it up only with what we figured we were going to need. And we preemptively went down and did an RSOP, Recon Site Occupation Selection, found a house because we weren't going to be there long enough for me to get billeting on Fort Sill. and uh, But took Sean and the kids, and we all went down to Lawton, Oklahoma, and lived there for six months. It was, you know, I got a couple of things uh we did while we were down there but again it was you know school was my focus and completing that course was the primary objective so but that time she went with me and uh yeah she's been through a lot so now now she kind of reaps the benefit of a uh, military uh retiree spouse and and uh, rightfully so
0: well she sacrificed right along with you Right. Right.
1: Yep. We were married when I was shortly after being commissioned as a second lieutenant. And it was, I always tell people, it was so interesting that her and my mother were there when I got, we weren't married yet. But her and my mom were there at my graduation from Officer Candidate School here at Wisconsin Military Academy, which used to be at Camp Douglas, Boak Field. And now it's moved on to Fort McCoy, um, the schoolhouse. But they were there and they pinned my second lieutenant bars on my shoulders. And when I got promoted as colonel, they were there and pinned my.
0: Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was.
1: Yeah, my mom and my, my
0: wife. Then, so. Each got to pin a shoulder.
1: Yep, pin a shoulder. So that was, that was kind of neat. Yep.
0: Awesome. So, would you ever, if you had to do it all over again, would you do the, the parallel routes, the police officer and the military? Or would you pick one over the other?
1: No, that that's a good question. But I think and when you asked about a kid, now it's coming to mind. That was one thing I always wanted to be was a military. And I didn't think I'd ever be an officer. Because when I got in, see, all you had to be was 18 and be able to pass a battery of exams called the OCTOQI, Officer Qualification Inventory, Officer Qualification Desk. And thank God I was always good at math, which... As you might assume, is a lot to do with artillery. So that was easy for me to get, and boom, nailed that. I entered the program after working in the civilian market. I won't tell you where. Most people don't even remember the place, but it was a manufacturing, and I can remember standing there one night on the line thinking, what am I doing here? This is not for me. And I can remember walking up to the counter where the foreman was, and I Turned in, I had safety gloves, safety glasses, and this. And he goes, where are you going? I said, home. He says, you're sick? I said, yeah, sick of this place. <laughs> and I walked out the door, and I had never, I was not raised that way, to walk off something. But thank God I was able to walk out that door, went home. The next day I called the then battalion executive officer, where I said, hey, are those test scores of mine still good? He goes, yeah. Yeah. He says, but you realize the program starts in about a month. He says, you better get in here. We got a lot of work to do. So I went down, signed up, and got accepted into the program. And the first counseling session by a TAC officer was, how old are you, Joling? I said, well, sir, Catering Joling, I'm 19. He goes, you're too young to be here. You ain't going to make it. Watch me. Watch
0: me. Yep.
1: <laughs> Just like to quit smoking and watch me. And that was, that brought me right on target. And then from that point forward, I knew I am going to do this. And, uh, yeah. Did it.
0: So would it be fair to say that whenever you put your mind to something that I'm going to do this, you follow through and That's, you might as well consider it done at the start?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna, just like, when I came up here and and was extremely fortunate to have been selected as the first chief, I tell people, Cronawater Police Department consisted of, I had a folding table as a desk, I had half a box of office supplies, a a chair mat, and I think I had a portable radio. In fact, I'm almost positive. That was what the police department consisted of. And it was you. And it was, go get them. And I can still remember the then uh, village president, Rick Smith, Um, great guy said to me, he goes, chief, let us know what you need. And uh, I started putting it together. Um, I was frugal. I was hard on these suppliers. You know, some of them tried to sell me stuff that I knew wasn't going to work. Um, and that was an advantage of working 28 years in the field. I knew what worked and what didn't in law enforcement, you know, what kind of equipment. And I'm here to tell you, it's like anything else. You buy good, you get good. You buy cheap gonna have trouble
0: you get and, what you uh, pay for right
1: there you go and so we we put it together and inside of uh, let me see here December of 2004 I started and by July of 07 we were a 24-7 police department so worked out that's good. pretty
0: impressive yeah it went,
1: went good I, I enjoyed it it was a it was a challenge um it was time when I retired it was time for me to go um I don't think I'm probably of the frame of mind of what needs to be in the the career field now. But for me, at that time in my life, and it was, it was good. It was it was a mission. It was a focus. You know, we were, a
0: mission you know, accomplished. Mission accomplished. Time do to that. do something else. There you Figure go. Out what that, I want to that, do next when I grow up.
1: That there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to put. It. And that's yeah. Yeah, that was it. I get, you know when I when I retired, I realized, man, you know, I just don't feel like crawling in the corner here. And um, I got a John Deere, you know, one of those with bucket and all that stuff. And there's only you so much your dirt you can. Toys. Uh, yeah, I got my toys and and uh, roto this and do that. And there's only so much of that you can do. And uh, so then I got in the private detective work. And
0: so did you buy toys in anticipation of retirement, like your John Deere? Or is that something that you had acquired over time because it's fun and takes your mind off of things? Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> All well framed. Um, I think that the John Deere was a final reaction to a when when we bought down in Cronenwetter and we not a lot of land, fifteen maybe acres. Is I realized real quickly that probably it wasn't you know. Running a push more the rest of my life wasn't wasn't going to pale. So, I had purchased initially uh, like a 1969, 1970s air equipment, nice little tractor, but it just was too utilitarian. You know, no power steering, none of, none of all this good just
0: stuff. Just the basics.
1: Just the basics. Did the
0: job though,
1: and it got to, yeah. Have five foot snowblower on. Once I finally figured out there was some PTO shaft size. Uh, pulley size discrepancies and once I finally got that diced out that thing blew snow I could blow it all the way over to Bavent but <laughs> I it just was so utilitarian and to try to hook up and I pulled a muscle in my neck again trying to get it I told my wife that's it I'm done and then went into this new newer family of you know tractors where you you basically drive up to things and hook them up and it's Pretty the easy, easy version, to do. Yeah. yeah, but then you got to have attachments. See, well,
0: you can't, you can't, just, you can't have the right. basic. You got to have the toys to go have with it. the, the Attachments that go with it. Yeah. yeah, I got a husband like that too. <laughs> yeah.
1: and uh, so yeah, so it's uh, very. I I tell everybody after I get out and blowing snow, and even this past summer, I finally found one, um, uh, a, a Curtis cab, which. Curtis has made cabs for tractors for years, but it's got a heater in it and windshield and windows that slide shut. And so I, now go you're out going in class. You in bet. Style. And every time I'd go out, which wasn't much again, but have to blow snow. Boy, that is nice.
0: Well, and I'm, I'm presuming that your little tractor gets stored in your shed. Oh, definitely. That's
1: that's got to go in. Thank God I got a mother that has a spare because we have three vehicles. And the one's kind of a toy, so I am able to store that in her garage in the winter. So my tractor has a commanding position, pole position in the garage door <laughs> to get out and do what it's got to do.
0: Yeah. And would this be the same shed that has the unique guard animal? Oh, yes. My
1: uh, my, my my friend, the snake. Um, no, believe it or not, those are just your traditional little 10 by 12 storage sheds. Oh, okay. Um the garage that I've got this is right right on the house, so oh. all I got to do is walk out and a cup of coffee in my hand, getting the tractor fire her up, and away we
0: go. No looking for your snake. And- no,
1: no, no. She, you know, and I haven't seen her this last year. Although my neighbor had made some comments about there was something moving. He's got like a little barn, um, that he had something big and long and lanky moving in his hay pile, and I said, "I'm you got mice?" He goes, "Yeah." I said. I'm wondering if she came over here. Yeah.
0: You lost your guard
1: snake. Yeah, she headed up over across the road, which I hope they get across the road because what's so life-ending for snakes are in the spring they go out and they lay on the road because it's, it's warm. nice be, Exactly. And then they don't get moving fast enough. Somebody comes along and runs them over. and
0: So what kind of snake was this?
1: It's a fox snake. Um, I've had a couple of different ones because one... I know uh, was injured or killed. Um, but the the ones that I've had are five, I would say they easily get five to six feet. And they're probably about oh, three inches across um, in diameter, three, four inches, and pretty good-sized snakes. And the reason I know this is I found shedded skin. There's skin when they shed, and uh have taken a ruler out and measured it But I have such a field mice problem that if I didn't have her around... uh, And the reason I keep calling her her is I told Pat I was cleaning out that garage and I found it one time. In fact, a couple of them. And I took and tossed them out. I have long grass just not far from the shed. Tossed
0: the snakes out? Yeah, yeah. Grabbed them and tossed them over there so I I could clean the shed out. I would have been running out of there screaming. Oh,
1: okay. And... Went back in and was cleaning it out, and I had an opening between the, the siding and the framing, and that one came up, and she nailed me at, in the side of the leg. And I turned and looked and saw her recoiling out, and I'm thinking, what? And I was talking to somebody that knows snakes, and they said she probably had a nest in there, and I had taken her away from that nest.
0: Oh, shame on you. And
1: she wasn't having it, and she wanted back in. So I quick. Got a hold of her, got her tossed back out, went in, finished what I had to do, and then uh, closed it up and said, okay. It's all yours. It's all yours. And come in. And last spring I went out there and opened up early, and it was a nice warm day. And, of course, the sun was hitting the roof. And there she had, I had a rack up there for bicycles that I hang. And sure enough, there she was, wrapped around there and (sighs) hanging there and looked at me, and we had a few exchange of words and,
0: And you said, you do your job and you'll be just fine. You do your
1: job, you bet. (laughs) You you can have all you want. They're all yours. And closed it up and left her in there. So, yeah.
0: But that's also like your get away from the wife area. Is that right? Well, if I go out there, yeah, she's never
1: really that close. Although, I got to admit, my wife did. Last year, these sheds desperately needed to be stained. And she came and agreed to uh, help me paint and she did as long as i kept the doors closed and there was no snakes around but kept she kept the helped. doors closed and the
0: grass was short enough that you could That's see right. what was yeah. in the it grass huh started moving she was gone no. <laughs> stayed and we got we got these two
1: little sheds uh, stained up and yeah they were bad they were they were bad i i swear to god we uh, uh, used the stain that got from good old charlie's hardware and it works great but I should have primed it. I, I could have I think I could have taken and it was getting drafted. It just sucked out of the it rain right when huh? I walked near the building. Yeah, they were I had let them go way too far. Too long without being properly stained, so yeah. And I just they're are good little storage sheds. I hate to let them go to waste, so I got to
0: stain them. So you got to take care of them. You so you got a place for the snake to live. Yeah, that's right. So she's got a place to live. Yes. So In your quote-unquote retirement, you decided Mm -hmm. to become a private detective. Yes. Is that Uh, you knew it was time to leave the police force, and you had already retired from the military. mm -hmm. You just couldn't walk away from law enforcement and law and order type of world? Or how did you decide that that's what you wanted uh, to do as your next plan B? You know, it was something that I looked at because...
1: There's a myriad of jobs that, you know, could get done. And, you know, could I go out and put in food plots with my my John Deere? And, um, you know, you're talking overhead, of course, you know. And then breakdowns and transportation issues and all that. So what can I do? You look at, you know, where's the overhead at? um, My brother, for years, um, better than 30 years, uh, has made a pretty good living pushing dents out of cars he does a uh, paintless dent removal and it's a technique i understand and i know what it is he does and he's explained it but it takes a lot of hand and eye coordination and my sight just you know is is not doesn't
0: quite work there doesn't yeah
1: it, there there's some limitations and i it's gone too far beyond that point um, and and would have liked to have done that cuz i love anything with motors and cars and trucks and vintage vehicles and but this was something i knew i could do you know i'd investigated in many cases and uh kind of put together a, a somewhat of a business plan and uh, had intentions for it to become my sons but it kind of took a different path and,
0: uh, and things happen the way they're supposed to though right
1: yeah, you know, you, you, I think you're. Yes, you are very right on target there, and and so it's something I'll do. I don't know if I wanna, you know, do it always, but the, the clientele I work for are primarily. Well, you got to watch out
0: for some of those yeah, lawyers. Amen.
1: <laughs> um, is uh, primarily uh, attorneys uh, in the Wassa uh, area, and so they understand those limitations. And like, uh, if I want to take, you know, uh, take a vacation, more than welcome. Agreeable to that, and uh, uh, paper service. I know it's. We've kind of gotten that down, so yeah, it's it's worked out good. Um, like I told you earlier, I said God's been been good to me. It's, but it's something I don't think I'm I'm going to want to do. Uh, you know, when I'm eighty, that's for sure.
0: Well, at some point, one would think that you'd actually want to retire, but then again, like you said, there's only so much dirt to move around, and. Well, yeah. What are you going to do, just sit in your chair?
1: You know, over the years, Sarah, I have seen so many guys, not so much from around here, but where I came from that worked hard, you know, just, work, and then get to that stage in their life and sit and wait for death to come knocking. And I just, I'm not quite there yet, <laughs> you know, some things I'd like to get accomplished. So,
0: Well, and I know lawyers have a tendency that they are so buried into their work that when they retire, they don't have any hobbies, they don't have anything to do, and they basically die because they have nothing to do after spending their career. Good is, point. Is that something similar that you see in yeah. law enforcement, or because of the schedule, people usually have something, some other side hustle that they're working on?
1: Uh, it, absolutely. I uh, Throughout my career, now that I sit and think about it, I normally have seen... Law enforcement, especially close to that, are very entrepreneurial, and you'll see them get involved in things or little side businesses or or uh, hobbies that they have. And kind of there, you know, I motorcycle. Although I know there'll come a time when uh, just probably safely can't do that. I'm gonna have to hang up the old bike. I've even told my wife that uh, that's something I'll stick in the corner, and and my great grandson can have because neither one of my uh, my sons are just don't have that much of an interest in motorcycles, so okay. Um, and maybe he'll like him by then. God, it's already hit a collector year now. Um, <laughs> so it'll really be a, a a unique piece of equipment. But yeah, and uh, traveling, we, we traveled. I'm not crazy about air travel right now. I, I don't...
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that one.
1: I don't like the restrictions. I don't like the way you feel. I dread flying anywhere. I will take a couple of days and drive there um, as to to fly it. To me, it's just we've taken it and we've relegated it to a... It You almost feel like I did in basic training when they moved. They used to call them the, the, the cattle cars. They were semi trucks. pretty And much. then they'd move everybody on there and they'd haul you to training sites. And that's just what I, I feel like when I'm going to fly.
0: I'm guessing that's not one of those memories that you cherish. New no, new no, <laughs> ma'am.
1: It is not. Um but yeah, I'll I'll find I'll find something to do. Um, uh I was just thinking I I finally again told Pat here that I finally finished this uh, vanity that my wife's had since she was a little girl. And I don't know if you call it a vanity. It's where a woman sits and puts on her yep, makeup. and
0: it is a vanity. And
1: she had it when she was a little girl and somebody had antiqued it years ago, put an antiquing on there and it looked like sin. And so we had talked about, well, can you strip it? You know, if it's laminated, sometimes you can't. And well, I'm here to tell you, we bought a bunch of stripper and had at it. The big thing was getting all that old antiquing off of there got it cleaned up and then uh bought this spray stain and, and uh sealer and uh, they call it barathane and put that on there and my wife was really quite impressed so but i don't know that wasn't awful, awful <laughs> I, I don't know if redoing furniture is, is is in the cards for me but maybe just uh maybe a little more traveling but it have to be on road
0: Nothing wrong with it. There's a yeah. whole lot of territory you can go see. So over all of the the experiences that you've had and and over your career, what's some of the best advice that you've received so far?
1: That I've received? Mm-hmm. Or that you've given people. Be, well, yeah, sometimes I.
0: But that's a, a subjective thing. Yeah.
1: Um, i would have to probably say is uh, keep your head down if you have a task stay focused on it and uh, you m- might be real surprised what you'll end up gleaning out of that experience but probably more so as i've always you know tried to uh, uh, treat people you know that that old saying is you know treat somebody like you'd like to be treated and
0: The golden Um, rule.
1: Yeah. My wife will oftentimes point out about how, and we, you know, I worked in a small town and everybody was down and my kids would have to put up with the hassles about your dad this and your dad stopped me. And that's what always kind of cracks me up is I always seemed to stop people that were doing 800 miles an hour over the limit and I'd give them a break and let them go because I knew them. But then the people that I would stop and give a ticket to were only going like one or two miles an hour over the, the limit. Oops. Couldn't be further from the truth on either point. One, I I always would give breaks, to everybody, warnings, but then I kind of expected people to heed the
0: warnings. Yeah, no,
1: and not so much. When I started stopping the same person a couple times for the same violation, that was when I did my job, you know, and I knew people paid me, and I was paying taxes. You know, I lived in the town that I paid taxes in, that I worked in. People expected me to do things, and that—that uh, that was, big. not not to jump to conclusions. That was especially oh, in good. law enforcement. Yeah, is yeah, so quickly everybody just like this whole Colorado shooting you're seeing right now. Yeah. I know you're where. People are jumping, and some people in some pretty influential players are jumping to conclusions they don't know what they're talking about. And always sit and listen. I worked with some great guys that uh, went, well, they wouldn't have done that, and, they, this wouldn't, and that wouldn't happen. And they Armchair
0: would, quarterbacks, aren't they great?
1: Limit, and limit their uh, scope of investigation. And, and I know probably in many cases – didn't do their job properly because, you know, a preconceived notion about this person didn't do that or they wouldn't do that or, you know, I, I, I've i known him for years. Well, that might not be the case. I told the guy one time, he goes, oh, come on, Dan, you know me. You could come in. We're dealing with a, a gun situation. And I says, I'll tell you what. Let's say his name was Frank. Um, Frank, you're right. I do know you, but I don't know what you're thinking. And I'm also not stupid enough to think five seconds ago you couldn't have held me at the door and went in and hid that weapon and or pull that weapon out on me. So, no, I'm not, you know, we're, and I can't remember but it was a condition of how we met or the conditions under which we were going to deal with this case is that, uh, you know, those preconceived notions can get you killed. Yeah. As I have often did tell people, especially young law enforcement officers I'd work with is the biggest killer of small town cops is complacency.
0: You I know. believe that.
1: Yep. You get you get out of that car and you go walking in, strolling in do 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 do. I don't know if you remember, you R-E-5? I know you practice in the southern part of the state, right?
0: No, uh, I've a, I've actually always
1: practiced here. Here in Wasa? Do you remember a couple of years ago when it was north of here where that officer went, responded to a domestic violence, one of the most dangerous and mm-hmm. unpredictable situations there are. And the guy said, hey, come on in, you know, chief, I know you. And he started walking in the house and kaboom, he met. Yep. He met his end right down the hallway. And uh, I've always, that stuck in my mind, you know, and um, would always try to enter. And for many years, it was basically the three of us that went to complaints, me, myself, and I, you know
0: your favorite tribe I couldn't
1: stand yeah couldn't stand them <laughs> but uh you know when you when you roll on a complaint and you're all alone in the middle of the night you you think and you act and you move a whole lot different than when you show up with 5 six, seven, eight, 10 20 30 squad cars
0: well yeah you you have to rely on me myself and I and yeah. all three of them better show up for the game that's
1: right <laughs> that's right with a clear, yes that's absolutely right with a
0: clear mind and listening to their gut
1: yeah Right, and that's why Southern Swing. I really believe it's a commie plot to wreck the uh, American worker, but I worked Southern Swing. That was eleven to seven, three to eleven days primarily. But I always told people when I went in eleven to seven, I would go into my survival mode, and it was basically sleep, eat a little bit, spend some time with, and sleep, and go in because I said the worst thing you can do as a cop is in the middle of the night, and then when we're alone, is be half. Mm. Half it. asleep? Right. That will get you and you know get you killed in a heartbeat, so
0: So I got one final question yeah. for you. If you were able to just snap your fingers, mm-hmm. no work required, mm-hmm. and you could change anything about today's society, what would it be?
1: <laughs> the love of country. Put your personal agendas aside, and you know we have one of the greatest countries, and or did, um, yeah, that, it's just so disheartening. Watch the news and listen. Well, to the
0: best thing you can do on. is to turn off the news, you know? from my perspective.
1: Hey, Amen. I would have a tendency to concur. Yeah, it just, it just, you know, and being that I am at the age I am now at, and seeing. And coming through this, living, basically growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, and then being and what we had, didn't really appreciate it then, really appreciate it now, and it's being taken away from my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandchildren. That is frustrating to me.
0: Well, it's very frustrating. I'm looking at it as no matter how hard you try to kill the American spirit, I firmly believe that we are born in this country with something that is so ingrained in our DNA from our founding fathers that no matter how you try to make it go away, it won't all you're going to do is piss it off. <laughs> I wanna and see. I'm waiting for more people to wake up and say enough is enough and get that pride of being an American.
1: I will say oftentimes at night, just laying there and pray and say, God, you need me, I'll come back in, you know. I'll put the boots on and come back in. If I gotta go, hey, so be it. That's what I spent my whole life was. I would go into the situations and the complaints if I when everybody go, else I'll was go, leaving. Yeah. Um I got no problem doing that again. If it needs me, just let me know.
0: Well, Dan, thank you very much. Oh. This was very interesting, and yeah. I certainly appreciate your service. Oh, well, thank you.
1: I appreciate. I, I was lucky. I was extremely fortunate, man.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. So, if you liked what you heard, check out our other interviews, and have a great day.